Hello, my name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine. That's openworldmag.com, the ultimate guide for starting your own location, independent business, uh, going after your dreams and living the life you want. Each week we feature experts in uh, things like setting up your business, outsourcing. And tonight I have a very interesting guest for you. His name is Hassan Osman. He's the author of Influencing Virtual Teams. His book is an Amazon number one bestseller in office management and outsourcing. He's also a senior program manager at Cisco Systems, a highly paid consultant who leads virtual teams around the world. He's been managing virtual teams for over 10 years, teaches a course on virtual teams, blogs about working from home and remote work, and I don't think there's anyone better qualified to uh, discuss uh, virtual work and remote teams than Mr. Osman here, and I just wanted to welcome you to the show, Hassan. Thanks so much, Donnie. Appreciate the kind intro there. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your backstory, Hassan, and how did you get into this? Uh, why, why remote teams? How do you get into this line of work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually um, half an entrepreneur. I'm basically a full-time employee, and I work for large organizations. I've actually worked for large organizations ever since I graduated from college. And so um, as part of my job, I started that in pure management consulting with a company called Ernst & Young. And as part of my job, I was dealing with very distributed teams all around the world and uh, in my consulting field as well as, um, you know, in, in my day-to-day -day sort of job as well. And um, after that, I actually moved into a large technology company called Cisco Systems. And as part of that job, I'm actually... Um, I actually worked 99% of my time from home on leading global teams on implementing very large and complex projects and programs. And so I deal usually on an average basis with around seven or eight different time zones um, with uh, resources, you know, from the West Coast. I'm based out of Boston, so I'm on the East Coast, but I deal with the four or five different time zones in the U.S., including Pacific and uh, and mountain time and, and central time, but also, um, you know, folks in Europe as well as China and the Philippines. And so I kind of span the entire world on, on leading teams um, on those large and very complex engagements. And so as part of my career, I've developed a lot of uh, certain tools and skill sets that help me manage those teams more effectively. Because as you probably know, Managing someone you don't see has a lot more challenges than someone you meet on a day-to-day -day basis um, and interact with locally within an office. Uh, and so as part of my 10-plus years of experience there, I put together uh, my book, which, which, as you mentioned, I was lucky enough to hit the number one bestseller in. Yeah, and it's a great book. It's actually less than, um, I think it's 70 pages, right? Just about there. Yeah, it's a very short and concise book. It just, okay. it, it's very meaty in a way. I, I didn't want to expand it. I could have easily added like 50 or, or 100 more pages to it, but I really wanted to focus on the maximum return on investment for your time as a busy professional. So if you want to check that out, the book is available for just two ninety nine, and you can just uh, look up Influencing Remote Teams, or, I'm sorry, Influencing Virtual Teams. Um, and it's just a, it's like a handbook, I guess. It's just uh, 17 Tactics. Um, to be a more effective communicator and manager with people you work with. And um, I just want to apologize to anyone listening to this. 
I'm in Thailand tonight, and there's occasional tuk-tuk going by, so if you hear some, some background noise, uh, the tuk-tuk's here are quite loud, so... Oh, no worries at all. Have you I been, to, think have you been to Thailand yet, Hassan? I have not. No. I'd love to go, actually. I know it's a beautiful country. I have a lot of um, Thai friends here in the U.S., and they speak very highly of the country. So uh, I'm, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a sense and feel of it now as I'm listening to the background noises. <laughs> <laughs> Got to ride in a tuk-tuk while you're here. There. It's, it's an experience unlike any other. So, <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah, so I actually noticed a lot of similarities in the way that you think and um, kind of my own background as far as communication and uh, the way you manage uh, the people who work for you. Uh, I see that you've been highly influenced by Robert Cialdini and his book Influence. Absolutely, yes. And, and the book actually, quite a number of the tactics in there are based on, uh, on Cialdini's uh, laws of influence. So um, I'm glad you picked up on that. So if you're not familiar with Influence, it's a book about how to get people to agree with things. Um, and I think, I think when I started reading, I was interested in kind of uh, sales and managing clients, but you kind of apply this to the people you work for. Um, I'm just curious, is it, is, that, is it important to like focus on compliance from your uh, workers or... Um, what, what would you say is the most important thing that you focus on as far as... Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm, you know, I'm not sure if um, a, a lot of people are aware, but if, if you've never managed people before, that's one of the hardest things that you can ever do. I mean, as a leader, as a manager of a, of a team of resources, the number one uncontrollable factor in such uh, an arrangement is people, right? You can manage money, you can manage your time, you have a lot of very well-known systems that you can individually manage on your own. But when it comes to managing another human being and, and them coming from different cultures, backgrounds, uh, each person with their own different sorts of characteristics and uh, likes and dislikes and motivating factors, it becomes uh, very, very challenging. And when your job depends on other people doing their job, then it becomes a lot more stressful to make sure that everyone is doing their job on time and making sure that they have the right checks and balances in place um, to move forward towards your ultimate objective of completing a certain project or a program. And so the, the book really focuses on that interaction, right? So what are the psychological sort of um, secrets and, and science-based uh, research tactics that help you persuade uh, people to do their job uh, without you having to chase them down all the time, right? So a lot of um, you know entrepreneurs uh, hire virtual assistants, and one thing they sometimes worry about is making sure that those tasks that have been assigned to those VAs are done in time, so that you can move forward and and you know do the following tasks and and. Um, uh, basically complete a specific project or, or launch that you're working on. And so, um, again, the book is, is really about what are those uh, psychological secrets of persuasion and influence. Uh, and, and it does draw from Cialdini's book and his work in that space, but also from other management um, journals and tactics, such as you know the McKinsey Institute uh, uh, references, as well as the Harvard Business Review. And, and you've you know got like this combination of different tactics that you use. And a lot of them are very simple and straightforward, by the way. So you won't see any sort of rocket science in there, but it just focuses them on dealing with people that you don't see on a day-to-day -day basis and, uh, and help managing them. 
That's, that's really interesting that you put such a high priority on, um, I guess, the personality of the manager or the, the boss and his social skills. Like, I, I would think that well, most authors seem to focus on systems and um, you know, kind of take a one-size-fits-all approach and kind of a top-down approach. Uh, but you kind of uh, believe in this approach of engaging the people you work with and getting them to comply with you. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I know I'm, I'm slightly different from your average entrepreneur because I'm, you know, sort of in the corporate world. And when, when you're in, you know, a large Fortune 500 organization, the way it works is you, you cannot do things without having the consensus of a team. You, you really need to make sure that everyone is on board with the vision and the goal that you want to accomplish and that they are working towards that objective um, and there's no way you can do that if you don't have the right skill sets of managing and influencing and leading people uh, through negotiations, through, um, you know, a lot of uh, basically back and forth. And I, I kind of talk a little bit about some of the, um, you know, uh, discussion points of Cialdini, which is, you know, one thing that he talks about is res- reciprocity, which is you can't influence someone to do something for you unless you give them something in return. Now, that could be something very simple as, you know, just a virtual pat on the shoulder in terms of giving them that motivating factor to help out with what you're doing or basically helping them with their own tasks so so that they can return the favor later on. Uh, So that does happen, obviously, in a lot of uh, the corporate world as well. And you kind of have to weave through that as part of managing people. That's very interesting. I think, um, I think most entrepreneurs understand that they have to give value to people. I think where a lot of them fall short is uh, in the communication. And I see it all too often because I started out as an advertising consultant and um, a big part of my job wasn't actually the work that I delivered, but working with the clients and communicating with them and, and how they would often complain about their web designer, you know, like they w- their web designer would not communicate with them. And, and this, it seemed like most of the experiences people had were extremely negative. And I've also been using Odesk as a client myself and also as a freelancer. Uh, you're familiar with Odesk, I'm sure, right, Hassan? Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I just I shudder when I read some of the posts. You know, people will write one line. They'll put a, a job description on there. They want to hire someone. And they'll say, you know, I need someone to hire, uh, I need to hire someone to market my website and, and give it some SEO or something like this. But they don't have any clear instructions and I just see I can't see how this this could lead to a good result yeah absolutely and uh and that's sort of the number one problem in uh in in managing virtual teams that fail right so in any sort of communication you have whether it's with a customer with a client what or whether it's with one of your employees the number one indicator of why that relationship or that sort of arrangement fails is miscommunication. So that's really the crux of understanding why things go south or they don't go the way you want to. I'd like to go back a little bit to what you talked about with regards to ODASC because miscommunication is the number one problem when it comes to managing or working with virtual teams. And that applies whether you're working with a customer or client or whether you're actually working with your own team. And it goes back to a philosophy or a theory called the curse of knowledge, uh, which I first heard about um, when I read a book called Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. A phenomenal book, by the way. You should definitely read it if you haven't. And uh, in the book, they talk about something called the curse of knowledge. And what that is is... 
uh, they, they conducted a study where they divided a, a couple of groups of people, group A and group B. Uh, and group A were called the tappers and group B were called the listeners. And what, uh, what the tappers' objective was, was to tap out a well-known song uh, that they can sing in their own heads, but to try and communicate it out through tapping. So let's say, for example, Happy Birthday to You or, you know, melodies like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And they wanted to tap it out without uh, the listeners understanding or hearing that song, obviously, except through the tapping. And the tappers, when they asked them, you know, what do you think in terms of percentage do you think the tappers or the listeners are going to pick it up, right? So how many people were actually figured out what that song is, even, if, even though it's a very well-known song? And in the tappers' minds, that number was around 50%. So nearly one in two people who are going to hear that tap would pick up that this is, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever other well-known tune it is. But the actual number turned out to be around one in 40, so something like 2% was the actual figure of people really understanding what that song is. And, you know, that obviously frustrated the tappers because they were like, oh my God, this is so simple. How can you not, you know, understand that this is just a very well-known tune and are you really that stupid? I mean, those were sorts of the comments that came out <laughs> of the study. <laughs> and, um, and this discrepancy, and by the way, this has been applied across different cultures and, and across different folks. So it's a very well-controlled study. And the, the ultimate reason behind why that happens is because of something called the curse of knowledge. And that is the knowledge you know in your own head curses you from communicating it properly to the other party. And it happens in every single aspect of business life, whether you're an entrepreneur trying to connect with your customers, whether you're a service provider trying to po post something on Odesk or Elance in terms of what you can provide in terms of a service or what you want in terms of a service that in your head, yeah, I just want to do you know, SEO and marketing, but I don't understand that it takes a lot more um, you know, description and effort in explaining what that task really requires to the, um, to the supplier or the vendor or, or the entrepreneur to actually address that. And so um, it's, it's always a constant struggle that you have to kind of reset your mindset and say, what does the person who I'm trying to interact with know and what does he not know so that I can you know, explain it in a much more effective way? Right, right, exactly. Wow, what a great point. And... A lot of these people, they go on these websites and they're looking to hire someone for $4 an hour, something like this. And, right. and they, don't, they expect that person to know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing either. So neither person knows what they're doing. And then, you know, so many entrepreneurs get burned by, by hiring someone who's not qualified to do the job. They're not qualified to give the job or to lead them. Neither person is the expert, so, so you, you don't get a quality product at all. Um, Hassan, how, how do we communicate better and how do we uh, ensure a good result with the people that we work with? Yeah, that's an excellent question. The first piece of advice would be don't assume anything. Even though you're, you might be 100% sure that something is obvious, spelling it out and saying, you know, here are the assumptions and here are sort of the constraints of what we're working with is always, always, always a good idea, especially in a virtual environment. So especially when, when you're working with someone who you don't see and you probably will never see. Um, 
and you know you can't pick up on body language or facial expressions when you're kind of talking to them, right? So whenever you posted some sort of a job description, you have to be as encompassing as, as, as much as possible because you want to make sure that you don't leave any stone unturned. And so that would be really the key takeaway is that, you know, spell out every single little thing you can think of and never, ever be sloppy with that job. So, you know, I would say if, if I'm, you know, posting some sort of a job description that would cost at least two, three, four hundred dollars. Um, I would spend at least half a day, if not a full day, uh, editing and and writing and looking at samples of what the job description uh, would look like, because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for failure. And um, you know, there's as you said, it nearly always happens whenever you're in that situation, and you can never err on the side of over communicating. And making sure you cover all your bases there. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let me ask you then: um, What would you outsource, especially if you're you're going to make all this effort to over communicate? And let's say there's a process or a procedure. Does it have to be a, a recurring uh, process that you're you're delegating to someone, or um, or if you're communicating it so clearly and you're going to all this effort? I mean, I can't imagine that you're giving them a new task every week. You know, or it has to be something that's that's going to be like large enough for them to spend enough time on it. Or if it's a recurring, ongoing process, what would what do you recommend, and what do you usually uh, delegate? How do you delegate? That's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. So, yeah. so there are there are two sorts of things that I delegate. One is um, big projects. Let's just call them big projects, and the other is smaller projects or smaller tasks, if you will. With big projects, it's things like. For example, editing a book, right, or designing a uh, a book cover. Those are the ones that I'm talking about that require, uh, you know, a significant amount of effort, explaining and making sure you do your due diligence and and um, you know reading up on other job descriptions that makes life a little bit easier for you and for the designer or the editor, whoever you're outsourcing a task to. Um, the other types were the smaller tasks are those that. I repetitively do. So, you know, anything that I need to do more than three times within a week is something I would definitely consider outsourcing because that's just a time suck. And that's something that you could basically, um, you know, find someone who can do that for you without you, um, you know, spending the cycles on it that you probably don't have or want to spend on more strategic things. So for example, editing blog posts, if, if you write a lot of uh, blog posts online, uh, you know, three or four a week, then having a copy editor or a proofreader do that for you just, you know, reduces the amount of time you have to spend on that, right? And usually it's not something that would require a lot of finesse or, um, you know, trust to, to do. I mean, obviously you want to trust them, but what I'm trying to say is it's not, it's something that you, you write once and then give it or hand it over to a proofreader and have them sort of do that. And then it's sort of ready where you can just upload it and, uh, and, and hit publish. So, you know, things that require, um, you know, m- minimal creativity, if you will, and are considered the time suck for you as a, as an entrepreneur would be things that I would definitely hand out and, and outsource from a smaller task perspective. So the creative tasks should be left to the, the leader or specialists from my perspective, yes, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of folks, especially with, with the whole Kindle publishing domain, right? 
um, you know, a lot of people are making a lot of money, by the way, uh, through that. And what they do is, is they outsource the entire process. They outsource the, um, you know, the, the book, the book name, they outsource the book content and they outsource everything from marketing to the design to, uh, to even the, the, the whole marketing process of it. And from my perspective, there's nothing wrong with that other than the fact that if you are focusing on building a brand for yourself, then in the long run, you might actually be hurting yourself because it's not your own voice, right? So if, if I want to write a book and you tell me you can you know, outsource nine out of those 10 tasks, the, the only task I would uh, want to do myself is, is writing the book and you know, having creative control over the, the whole sort of, um, you know, branding and imaging of it. So I'm not a, you know, cover designer. I have to actually outsource that. And I know I'm not perfect in my English writing and I'm a very slow writer. So I obviously want to hire an editor to help me out with that perspective. But at the end of the day, you really want to make sure that the book you write or the video you make has your own sort of voice to it. Uh, so that you can connect better with your audience and whatever they end up purchasing down the line from you, they know that they're purchasing something that is authentic, uh, authentic and not, um, you know, and not outsourced to, to someone for 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. I think that's kind of the, the dark side of outsourcing. Um, when you have people who uh, don't take pride in what they're doing, uh, sorry, there's a little noise there. Uh, they don't take enough pride in what they're doing and the quality of the, the product that they produce. So they go and uh, outsource all these different operations. So they'll, they'll go on Fiverr, for example, and have a book cover designed. And I can easily tell when a book cover is designed on Fiverr. And I think a lot of people can too. And, and that really turns people off, I, I think. I, I would totally agree with that. And in fact, I'm glad you brought up Fiverr because there is value sometimes for that. So you can go cheap. But go cheap with a strategic decision in mind. So, for example, I've used Fiverr for, for this book. What I did was I created the first cover using Fiverr, not because I wanted to use that as the final cover, but because I wanted to see if people are actually interested in the topic before I wrote it. Right. So what I did was I, I went on Fiverr. I had a, you know, a high level title in my mind and I you know, bought a, a cover for five bucks and then I created this squeeze page to show folks that, hey, I'm, I'm writing this book. You know, obviously the, the cover is going to change, but this is sort of the title and this is sort of what I'm working on now. If you're interested uh, in knowing when this book launches, feel free to sign up. And that obviously helps a lot more when you, when you actually have a physical sort of cover that shows on your screen as compared to just, uh, you know, text. That helps increase uh, conversions, obviously, and people signing up just so that they know they're getting something tangible. Um, but obviously, after I did that and then people showed interest and I started writing the book, in my mind, I knew that I was always going to be designing a, you know, a much more professional cover. And I actually used Elance as opposed to Odesk uh, and hired the designer there. So, uh, yeah. So, again, Fiverr does have its advantages in some areas, but I wouldn't go cheap in something that is um, going to give you the first important positive impression about uh, the product you're creating. Yeah, that's great. And you actually just revealed a really important uh, technique there. You actually tested your idea before you even began writing the book, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've, ever since I've learned that, that's, that's the way I've... Um, I've went. I mean, I did that with my course as well. I didn't spend six months building it and creating it until I knew people were 
very interested and and I had a few people sign up um, okay. with their wallets, by the way, <laughs> uh, before I started building it. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, testing and pre-selling as well. Yeah, and I think most people don't do that. Most uh, A lot of first-time entrepreneurs and um, authors, you know, they just kind of write about whatever they want to write or, or experts, consultants, they kind of just teach whatever they want to teach without getting that market feedback first. Exactly, exactly. And I think there is absolutely no reason to go down that path anymore. I mean, with all the tools you have online and the way you can actually test things before building them, uh, there's just no excuse. I mean, I, and I've been there. I mean, I've never uh, been always, always been successful, right? I've had my share of failures um, and a lot more than success, actually, uh, I, going down that path, starting to build something, spending sometimes years on building something and then finding out people don't want it. So um, I think, you know, if, if you're a first time entrepreneur, I think there's value in, in failing just so you know what you need to avoid. <laughs> but uh, I would I would strongly suggest that you you test, test and, and test some more uh, before you, you spend the cycles and uh, and the hours on on building something that people don't want. Tell me about one of those failures, Hassan. Sure. So one big failure I had was uh, starting a magazine. So I'm from the Middle East and um over there, we don't have something of the equivalent of National Geographic or Time magazine. And I really wanted to build something called a photojournalism or a doc documentary photography magazine, like a physical magazine that shows and discusses, um, you know, life in, in the Middle East, um, whether it's, it's about, you know, the Civil War or about how the different weddings, for example, um, you know, are, are celebrated across the different religions there. And, um, you know, from my perspective, I love that project. It, it was an amazing sort of um, an initiative that, that highlighted the different stories through pictures in that area. But from a financial perspective, it was a disaster. Like, I didn't know that advertisers didn't care so much about something which is more on the artistic or documentary photography perspective. They were more interested in the gossipy type um, you know, tabloids and that sort of thing. And that's really what people wanted, uh, which to me is a, is a little bit unfortunate, but, you know, that's what the market wants. And so I had, you know, I had this vision and I spent, um, you know, quite, enough, quite a lot of money on that, on that project. And I actually took a six-month unpaid leave from my job as a high-paid consultant here in the U.S. just to go there and, and, um, and launch it. And so um, it, it was one of the best times of my life in terms of learning um, about the whole entrepreneurship space and really carrying the bag, as they say, just going to sponsors uh, or magazine sponsors and trying to get funding. Um, but it was also very humbling in the sense that, you know, you just you, you utterly fail and you have to kind of pick yourself up and and restart again. So, um, you know, that was that was one major failure that I had, which I learned from. And I knew that if I were to go back and do that differently, I'd start first off with going to the people who were actually going to fund this and ask them straight out that, hey, I'm building this new magazine. Um, are you willing to invest or, or pay for some sort of an ad spot in that magazine uh, before I, uh, I actually created it? Wow, that's, that's fantastic advice. Um... So if, if you have an idea, you need to get it out there in front of people. And if you're going to fail, just, just do it quickly and, and inexpensively, right? 
see if, if just get feedback. Exactly. So that, yeah. there's the feedback aspect of it. And then as, as Tim Ferriss would say, mm-hmm. is that, you know, people, if, if you build something and ask someone, um, hey, would you pay 10 bucks for this? The answer you get is going to be completely different from you saying to someone, pay me 10 bucks now for you to have this. Because in, in someone's mind, you know, yeah, I, say, saying something like, yeah, I think I'd pay for this is completely different from opening up their wallet and giving you the money right then and there. And that's where the distinction is. So if you are going to be pre-selling in addition to testing, then do it the right way. And that is not just asking people, are you willing to pay for it? But really asking people to pay for it right then and there for early access or at this, you know, some sort of a discount or anything like that. And that's one reason why uh, crowdfunding is so popular now, because uh, it's basically every time you get it funded, uh, someone contributes, it's uh, a vote for your product. People want to see it come to life. 100% exactly. Yeah. And that's why you know, things like Kickstarter or Indiegogo are so mm-hmm. popular is because you're not going to end up spending thousands or, or sometimes millions of dollars you know, p- p- coming up with, uh, with mass production for physical products before you know that there's a market for it. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's one more way to uh, validate your idea. But even before you even launch a Kickstarter product project, I think you can just go out and, and ask people, uh, maybe come up with a list of 10 people who would be in that niche. Or uh, what I like to do when I work with clients is um, find people who they hope to influence within the market and just do informational interviews and just ask them, you know, would you be interested in a pro- project, uh, product like this? What kind of features would you like to see? Um, are you familiar with Dane Maxwell, Hassan? I am, yeah, from yeah. the foundation. Yep. Yeah, it calls it idea extraction. And um, just, just going out like, who, do you, who is your target market? And just ask them a few questions. Just have a phone conversation with them for 30 minutes. And uh, you can get an idea of whether uh, you should go forward with your idea or just uh, what, you know, put it on the shelf and try something else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. again, I think he... At one point during his uh, his process is, you know, after you do the whole idea extraction uh, and, and informational interviews and that sort of thing, uh, you want to build what he calls an MVP or a minimal viable uh, product. And before you build that, you actually ask for investors, right? You ask for money from clients that if they want to use this, that they have to, um, you know, basically invest in it up front before you go ahead and hire a developer or anything like that. Okay, great, great, cool. Um, well, that was awesome. I want to get back to a little bit more towards uh, outsourcing, and um, I want to talk about systemizing, especially for entrepreneurs, and also uh, outsourcing effectively. Um, in my book, uh, I, I have a book as well. I talk a little bit about uh, lifestyle businesses, and uh, you know, businesses that set you free versus ones that. Uh, trap you. And um, I think most bootstrap businesses are founder-driven in the beginning, uh, where the entrepreneur runs all of the operations himself. And I think this is actually a good thing for a while because you get first-hand experience on how the business works and the operations. Uh, but at some point, you need to uh, figure out, you know, what can I systemize, what can I delegate in order, in order to free yourself. Um, so I guess, I guess the question I'm getting at is, uh, well, one second, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so, so what I'm getting at is um, I want to talk about systems and, um, and how do you decide what to uh, outsource in the beginning. Because I, I feel like um, you have to kind of be the expert at what you're, you're outsourcing, right? Or you have to understand it well. If you don't understand it well, then how can you gauge the quality of it? And how can you trust another person to take over the reins for you? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that's a great question. And I, I take it a step back for a second and say that, you know, before you, you understand how to kind of outsource and, uh, and systemize your work uh, by working with, you know, virtual teams or a virtual assistant or what have you, you have to think about um, systemizing your own work first, right? You have to be much more efficient and productive with what you do on a day-to-day basis so that you know where the biggest time sucks are so that you can outsource those or the projects that you, it doesn't make sense for you to kind of take on because there's just a very steep learning curve that you have to invest in. And so the, the systems I use are really based on two books. The first is, uh, and I think everyone kind of uh, agrees with this, is Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek, right? A lot of the principles there about um, you know, Parkinson's law and making sure you focus on the whole 80-20 rule where, you know, um, you know, focus on 20% of your tasks that give you the 80% of results, um, as well as batching, for example, ba- doing your work in batches. Email, for example, is the number one time suck, um, whether it's for entrepreneurs or for uh, corporate managers. And so thinking about different ways in which you uh, focus on email there by not reading it every 17 seconds when <laughs> when an email comes in, but really doing it every like 90 minutes or or a couple of hours. Um, with Tim Ferriss, it's it's twice a day only, which to me is very unreasonable because there's no way I can do that. <laughs> but uh, but at least focusing on that, right? So systemizing your own work, becoming more efficient and effective with what you do, and taking the principles from uh, the four hour work week help. The other book that I rely on is by David Allen. It's called Getting Things Done. And it's a phenomenal book of really systemizing everything that you do. So with a combination of Tim Ferriss's principles, Getting Things Done is about organizing the, the other stuff in your life, right? So it, it doesn't differentiate between whether it's work-related or um, personal uh, stuff that you're working on. Uh, whether it's you know shopping lists, for example, of things you want to buy or things you want to work on later on or things you need to read or emails you have to respond to and so on and so forth. And he has this amazing sort of process flow that takes a little bit of time to get used to and set up. But once you do, it's, um, it, it, it flows amazingly well. And it, and it is uh, technology agnostic, by the way. So you don't have to buy a specific tool or use a specific email client. It works whether you're using uh, a pad and pen and a regular you know, paper-based calendar or you're using you know, Microsoft Outlook or Gmail or uh, whatever other tools you want to use. So you know, with a combination of both of those, it really helps kind of nail down uh, and systemize your own workflow so that you're more productive. And so the step after that and in getting things done, they talk about whether you, you, know, you want to do something, you want to postpone it, or you want to delegate it. And within that sort of uh, process, anything that you want to delegate uh, would fall under those you know, two buckets, whether it's something creative or something that 
you want to um, outsource to someone on a, on a project-based level where you kind of have to write up a project description and, and post it on Odesk or Elance, uh, or whether it's smaller tasks that don't require a lot of creativity, but just um, more of a, you know, a time drain for you, then th- this is where you kind of start focusing on those areas and decide whether, well, does it make sense for me to do it? Or does it make, make sense for me to outsource it to someone online? Or maybe sometimes find someone locally uh, within your time zone or maybe a, a student or an intern uh, who would be willing to work for you know, less than the average um, amount, but you would be able to trust because you can kind of see them face to face. So that's sort of the end-to-end kind of process that I follow um, okay. in terms of putting that together. You know, one thing that I do, which has really helped me out a lot, um, and actually, when I started uh, outsourcing, I used a website called onlinejobs.ph. Um, mm-hmm. af- after I read the four-hour work week, once again, that's onlinejobs.ph. It's a Filipino uh, site where you can hire people, hire virtual assistants. Um, I took, I wrote down in a journal all of the tasks that I do on a daily and weekly basis, and um, tried to categorize them, such as like uh, what's high dollar per per hour, what's low dollar per hour. What activities are zero or negative? And mm-hmm. um, I did my best to try to eliminate the ones that were zero or negative and outsource the ones that were low dollar per hour. And uh, the ones that caused me the greatest amount of frustration, such as uh, content writing, for example, for my clients' mm-hmm. blogs. Um, <clears throat> I found that I, I, it, take me, you know, it could take me a whole day just to write one article. I wasn't very good at it. And um, I found another person who was fantastic. He could do, for $35, write three, five articles. Um, and so that was one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, and, and then I could focus on the things that, you know, brought in more money and, um, that I enjoyed doing. That's a fantastic way of actually looking at it. And I, I commend you on that because it's, it's obviously looking at the cost versus return on what tasks need to be outsourced and what, what tasks don't. Um, and I think that's the smartest way of doing it. I do it in a more sort of non-scientific or non-mathematical fashion. <laughs> I just look at it, you know, stuff that really bothers me to do on a day-to-day basis, and I outsource it regardless of how much money it'll take. <laughs> uh, but, but yes, I think the, the best way to approach it is the way you do, which is looking at, you know, the low dollar cost amounts versus... Uh, you know how much it, it, you know how much you make on a per hourly basis if you do do that calculation, and then how much uh, it would cost you to outsource it. Do you keep a log or a journal, Hassan? Well, I do, but not. Um, you, I assume you mean a journal on all the different tasks that I'm I'm doing, or just a journal in, in general. Um, just just on like your your business uh, productivity and what you've got accomplished, uh, what works and what doesn't. Um, oh no 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 I'm not I'm not that uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not that organized I am organized but not yeah. that organized unfortunately uh, I have a friend who he keeps a, a book called uh, his book of bitching I think it's called <laughs> and, cool. and he writes like why you know did today suck okay why did today suck and then he'll just like uh, he'll he'll talk about the times where he just he lost focus or something went wrong and, and try to fix it you know, next week or the next day. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So how's that working for him? I think it's, it's doing great because, uh, he, you know, he's a programmer and he's, he, he spends a lot of time in front of his laptop. And uh, obviously when you're, when you're spending a lot of time in front of your laptop, it's very easy to get distracted. Um, so I know a lot of us use, use things like, 
I don't use them, but a lot of my friends use these these apps and tools to uh, keep themselves from watching cat videos on YouTube or browsing Facebook or these types of things. So, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hassan, uh, when you work with people, how do you know if you, you found a good uh, assistant, or how do you assess um, the quality of the people work, you work with? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So if it's for small tasks, the best way to really, and I learned this, by the way, from Jason Fried, who, who um, uh, runs a company. It used to be called 37 Signals. Now it's just Basecamp. And uh, his method of hiring people is to actually give them a small task and a pay task sometimes um, to see what their output is, right? So, so basically, you know, if, if you want to hire a project manager, then give them a project management task and say, you know, put together, for example, a Gantt chart uh, or a governance model or something like that. And um, don't make the task too, too huge. But at the same time, uh, give them the instructions that you would when, you know, when you'd hire them and see what the output is, see how they interact with you, see whether they do come to you for questions or clarification and the level of granularity of those questions, whether it's something that you think might require a lot of hand-holding, for example, or whether you know, they're more hands-off and, and are comfortable working uh, without you sort of breathing down their neck. So, you know, I, I really think that's a, a, a beautiful way because it really gives you perfect data of whether that person is going to do the job or not. Uh, for example, if you need someone to edit your book, and this is what I did for my own book, um, rather than just hire someone, let's say it's $400 or $500 to do that for you, say something like, I need someone to edit five pages for me. And it's going to cost you 20 bucks or 30 bucks each. And maybe, you know, do it with four or five people and see what, um, you know, what their output is. The exact same text, but give it to five folks and see what the different output of each one of them is and just go with the one you like. Now, granted, this might cost you a little bit more time and a little bit more money, but the savings you'd have in terms of headaches and making sure that you get a quality product are 100% worth it. You know, Hassan, that almost parallels exactly the process that I use, and I'm so glad you just described that in such vivid detail. I, I actually use the same process when I use Odesk. Um, you know, back when I was using onlinejobs.ph, you kind of hire someone off the bat, you know, to work for you full-time. Uh, but when I use Odesk, I'll give people small tasks. You know, I'll just say, uh, I, I need this fix made to my website. And you, you see how quickly they deliver it, how well they communicate, um, you see, is this someone I like working with? And then you can keep giving them more work later on, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, that's, and that's really just the, the best approach for you to kind of uh, make sure that you, you get the best quality product that you want. I'm, I'm glad you leveraged that as well. And at the same time, you're building a relationship with that person. You know, they trust you more, you trust them more. Um, and it's, it just seems to be so much better than trying to go through... Uh, interviewing 50 people so that you can hire them for a $40,000 a year job. Uh, why not just give oh, them small tasks? <laughs> you know? well, 100%, exactly. And by yeah. building relationships, in, even with the person you end up um, hiring for that job, right? So for example, with the editor and, and the cover designer, you know, now I'm thinking of, of my next book and I'm actually considering directly going to them and not having to worry about going through the filtering process again, right? Because I was very satisfied, very, very happy with the way things went. 
And so it's just a matter of rehiring those folks again. So it's a time investment up front that you spend in trying to figure out who the best person for the job is that pays dividends down the line, not just for this job or this task, but for tasks down the line as well. So if you're listening to this interview and you want to take something from it and you want to take action after this, I um, highly recommend if you've never outsourced or delegated work, uh, just go on a website like Odesk or Elance, elance.com, and uh, think of a job and just any kind of small job. Just just post it on there, hire somebody, get a little bit of experience. Because um, I, I really like what you just said, Hassan, because I'm a big proponent of uh, taking baby steps. If there's something you want to do in your life, you know, rather than making a big deal out of it and, and making a mental monster out of it, just, just take a little baby step and just, just start small, start somewhere. And then before long, you're, you're, you're a pro and you're an expert at it. Exactly. And that's, that's definitely the way to go. One thing I'd like to add is I know, you know, with Odesk and, and Elance, those are sort of for entrepreneurs. And, and uh, if you want to outsource certain tasks, if, you know, if you have a startup that's growing really fast and you're now, you know, four or five uh, employees and uh, you want to really expand your team and have sort of dedicated resources who do this sort of thing, there are other websites that really help you do that. And of course, you don't have to worry about it now if you're just um, you know, a single entrepreneur looking for one a, a simple virtual assistant, uh, but more of like a full-time staff. There are companies, and one that I highly recommend is called Bolton Remote. And they're actually, I believe, based out of the Philippines, and they have like a, this huge center there um, that they have like dedicated on you know, workers who are vetted through um, on their end, right? So they, they go through background checks and they go through uh, some sort of a, a hiring process. And so you really do get top-notch quality resources uh, for a lot cheaper than you would, whether it's local in the US or in Europe, uh, but addresses your needs as a growing startup as well. Hassan, how do you spell that? Bolton Remotes? Bolton, so it's B-O-L-T-O-N. Bolton Remotes. Okay. Bolton, yeah, remote, R-E-M-O-T-E dot com. So boltonremote.com. Okay, cool. So it's, it's sort of an agency then? Yeah, it's sort of like a remote staffing agency for businesses, uh, and it's phenomenal. Okay, cool. Um, so earlier you mentioned that you manage teams in uh, all over the world, uh, India, China, Philippines, U.S., Europe, I'm sure, I think a lot of uh, digital nomads and entrepreneurs have to deal with these different time zones and working with people around the globe. Um, how do you kind of like keep above it all and, and keep it all managed and, and organized and efficient? Um, I, I've kind of, I'm sure a lot of people have exper experimented with different techniques. Um, I've used things like Basecamp, Trello, uh, Google Websites. Um, but then it can also be challenging, you know, keeping in contact with people, making sure they communicate with you regularly, uh, getting reports. Uh, what, what's, what's the process you recommend and, and how do you like kind of keep everything organized, I guess? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question to answer, but, you know, obviously relying <laughs> on specific tools. I mean, right now, for example, the go-to tool for me is something called WebEx meetings. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But um, it's, it's sort of like a GoToWebinar or GoToMeeting, um, but WebEx is actually developed by Cisco, and it is one phenomenal, phenomenal tool. I mean, in terms of collaboration, in terms of um, 
working together across different time zones and and collaborating on a specific work product whether it's like a you know creating a powerpoint presentation or going through some sort of a whiteboarding session to brainstorm ideas uh, it's just an all-in-one encompassing tool that does you know for example everything that skype does but also does um, you know, screen sharing and, and whiteboarding and that sort of thing. So that tool on its own is just something that, you know, everyone has access to across the world. And it, it's like your one hub spot to go in and work collaboratively, collaboratively on, on a specific thing that, uh, that you're working towards. Now, in terms of the, you know, managing the different time zones, it's always a challenge, right? I mean, um, you know, one thing is sometimes you have to be up at like 10, 30, 11 p.m., uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, you're in the right time zone for the folks you're working with and others, they have to do the odd hours as well. As I'm sure, you know, right now, right. I'm in Boston, you're in Thailand and you're not <laughs> in the same time zone right now. Um, the other, you know, the other tip would be to assign tasks that don't require you to be online at the same time. Right. So, so anything that, um, you, you agree on, uh, within a certain time slot, um, to make sure that you outsource a task that wouldn't require you to check in before, you know, 24 hours passed by or whatever that, that differential and time zone uh, works at. Uh, because that way, obviously, is where you become much more efficient. So if, if I work on a specific deliverable um, and I need someone to work on polishing it up, that's where I hand it over and then they can work or spend like five or six hours when I'm in bed, basically, and, and they're up uh, during their workday. Um, to hand it back to me once, you know, I'm starting my own workday. And, um, you know, one tool I use, which is free and, and helps a lot in terms of understanding, you know, um, the different time zones, especially with things like daylight savings time or times shift and, um, you know, dealing with multiple countries. It's called, I think it's timeanddate.com or date and time. I think it's time and date. Let me actually check that. Um, Time and yeah, it's called time, T I M E, and date.com. And it's just an amazing tool where you can just go online and uh, plug in uh, the time zone you're in uh, and the time zones of the different folks you're working in. And it gives you this beautiful chart that shows that color codes everything in whether it's red, yellow, or green about the times that are sort of in that workday for that specific country across all countries. Um, and it's very, very nifty. It just helps a lot. You just plug it in and then boom, you know, you know, a time range between, let's say, 11 a.m. Eastern and 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern is like the prime time where all of my team members have work days during that, you know, time, time range. So um, oh, that's highly fantastic. recommended there. Yeah, timeanddate.com. I have to check that out. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I recently had a call a couple of weeks ago where we had one guy, well, me obviously in Thailand another guy in London, uh, one guy in the Caribbean, and another guy in Brazil. And uh, it was just such a, a hassle trying to get everyone, trying to figure out the time that would work for everyone. Um, do, do you use any tools for scheduling uh, when you have these kind of group calls or conferences? I do. So we actually have an internal um, sort of Microsoft Outlook okay. scheduler. So, so basically we use that. But for my sort of entrepreneurial uh, ventures on the side. I use, um, I think it's called Doodle, D-O-O-D-L-E. Um, okay. Let me double check that really quick. It's, I think it's, uh, it, it is by, by Google or they probably bought it. And, uh, 
that's yes, it is doodle dot com. And the beauty of that is no sign in required and you just schedule an event. You put the different times and names and everyone sort of selects what times work for them. And you get like the different columns that show up uh, for that. Awesome. So, um, well, thank you so much. This has been great, Hassan. You've shared a, a bunch of great uh, tips and, and a wealth of expertise and knowledge. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit more uh, do you, do you work with like private clients like to help them with their uh, outsourcing operations? What what kind of results have you seen? I mean, tell me about what's what's going on uh, behind the scenes as far as outsourcing and some of the results and uh, outcomes, ideal outcomes. Or yeah, so I I mean I have is, managers, is question, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> is that worded correctly? I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I want to know like uh, tell me about some of the possibilities, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, so in, in my field as, as a manager of virtual teams, uh, the, the possibilities are endless, right? I mean, now the, the entire world is shifting into this model of purely outsourcing uh, everything, right? And, and we're not talking about, you, you know, an entrepreneur, um, you know, working on just their operation, but also about Fortune 500 companies making billions of dollars shifting towards that model where they, you know, move overseas and, and cut down on costs uh, and, and be more effective in that. Um, so the, the world is definitely moving to the, towards that direction. And I would, you know, encourage every single entrepreneur to pick up some sort of skills that have to do with managing people overseas or, or offshore or just people you, you don't see, right? Um, because at the end of the day, uh, whether it's for cost savings or for um, time maximizations, right? So, for example, when when you're talking about working with someone who uh, who is offshoring, the additional benefit is not just that you're probably saving money, but you're also taking advantage of what's called follow the sun model, right? So, so I'm I'm working eight hours a day, ten hours a day, and then the you know there's zero productivity when I'm when I'm sleeping. Whereas during that period of time, if, you know, I have a certain deadline I need to meet, I can make use of that additional eight or 10 hour workday uh, by, you know, assigning it to someone. So it's sort of extending your, you know, productivity 10x if, if you hire 10 people uh, during times where, where otherwise would be zero. So, you know, just an overall general comment is that uh, I think you 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 definitely need to pick up on on those skills. You definitely need to have someone uh, that you can outsource um, certain tasks to, so that you you save yourself the headaches and and the time and the the investment of you doing it yourself. And um, I, I just overall think that in terms of results, th- there have been um, disappointments, obviously, but I would discourage against you being you know stopping just because of one or two. Um, cases that went went south and, and you didn't have the uh, positive experience that others are having. Because at the end of the day, uh, you can basically make it work by just, you know, learning from your experience about hiring someone who didn't work out the first time and making sure you don't repeat those, um, those mistakes the next time. Right. There's that uh, technique called the five whys. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a way. <laughs> yeah, and I actually talk about that in my book. It's I don't know if it was in... It was created by Toyota, uh, but basically it says if something goes wrong, you say, okay, why did this go wrong? Like, so let's say uh, you were 30 minutes late for a client meeting or, or, or someone who works for you was 30 minutes late for a client. Okay, why were they 
why were they late? Uh, because it was an hour drive to the other side of town. Okay, why wasn't that planned for? Because uh, whoever did the scheduling didn't check the location of the meeting. Uh, why didn't they? And then so, then, and then so you, you get to the real root of the problem, and then you add it into your process, and so you don't make the mistake again the next time. Right. That's a great way of thinking about that. Yeah. I'm just taking some, some notes there. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had such a great experience. Uh, I mean, outsourcing has really changed my life, and I can't imagine not using it. Um, you know, I've, just as a client, uh, I've hired people in Thailand and Dubai, Philippines, India, uh, for things that I often don't know how to do. If, if, it's, if I'm working on a new website and there's some PHP error broken, I can just post a job description up in five minutes and get 30 qualified applicants, you know, in 30 minutes. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just fantastic what's, what's possible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so just, I kind of have a question for you. So are yeah. you sort of leveraging the outsourcing model a lot more as you go forward and in, in your entrepreneurship uh, ventures? Well, I, I do a lot. Um, I do a lot with kind of my service business. I started an advertising business uh, consulting, but um, with my new business, it's kind of, uh, it's still founder driven, I guess you'd say. Um, okay. I, I'm still putting a lot of myself, I'm working a lot more with this new business, uh, with, with my magazine and my blog. Uh, but once, once I think I have a, a good grasp of things and, and kind of have the processes laid out, I would like to kind of identify what can be outsourced. Uh, but I, I don't think I'm at that point yet. I think, I think you need to have at least a year of experience running your business first, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think to your earlier point about, uh, b before you outsource, you need to know what you're outsourcing or, or be an expert in that area. And, and maybe not, you know, expert in the sense that knowing every single little thing that goes on, but un at least understanding and having a good grasp of what the inputs into that outsourcing piece and what the outputs you expect are, right? Um, so, for example, with outsourcing SEO, you just need to understand or, or guide whoever you're outsourcing to, to to know what keywords you want to optimize for and, and make sure that, uh, the recommendations that come out from from whoever is conducting that SEO consulting um, can be easily implemented by you, right? Just making certain tweaks and certain words, or um, you know, increasing your backlinks and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the number one thing I tell everyone who, uh, whenever I talk about this topic, is don't outsource something that you don't know well. If if you don't know well, hire a consultant or get your own hands-on experience first. Before you, you do that, because you give the example of SEO, and that's, that's when things go horribly wrong, because you can hire someone in India to you know, do SEO for your website, and then they, they put your website on all these spammy, you know, they give you links from all these spammy websites, and, and then you get blacklisted by Google. And exactly. so, suddenly you're, you're far worse off than when you started. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Case in point there. Yeah, that's, that's one of the most obvious examples, but I'm sure there's, there's all kinds of these, these cases happening. And, and you know, it's, it's really unfortunate uh, when, you know, things do go wrong in, in between the contractor and the client and these problems still happen. I think there's as many... Um, cases of things going wrong as there are going well, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Hassan, if, if you wanted to, uh, you wanted the listener to take, I guess, two or three things from this interview, what, what would you say are the most important uh, 
uh, things to remember and, and do. Sure. So I think the first one is keep in mind the whole curse of knowledge topic I talked about and, and anything you do, whether it's your uh, outsourcing or talking to a client or making sure that you want to address, um, you know, a, a problem that you're working on or, or another project that you want to create. Uh, so always, you know, make sure that you capture all the assumptions, you uh, over-communicate in, in your, uh, whether it's just a project description or even an email to someone. Uh, so that you would use the amount of back and forth headaches there. So I think that's that's a big takeaway. Two is to, again, systemize your own work first and becoming an expert at it, just like you mentioned uh, earlier, and understanding where the bottlenecks are. Um, you know, I'd recommend for our work week and getting things done as two books to kind of start that with to make sure that you have a very nice and efficient process that you, uh, you work with, especially as an entrepreneur when you've got uh, 150 million things going on. Um, and then thirdly, just make sure that whenever you are communicating with, um, with people you want to outsource to, uh, in terms of their different time zones to make sure that you know, one, you, you take that into consideration, whether you want to maximize your own uh, productivity by, by looking at folks or hiring folks who are in different time zones for a strategic purpose, right? So, you know, folks in India, if you're in the U.S., uh, could take advantage of uh, the downtime you have when, when, you're, uh, when you're sleeping, basically. And so, you know, combining those sorts of three takeaways is, is going to help you become a lot more effective and efficient uh, as an entrepreneur. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hassan. And do you have any uh, additional resources besides those books you mentioned, any blogs or anything that you recommend uh, people follow? I know you have your own blog. Do you want to mention that? Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I do blog about, um, well, I, blog, I have a couple of blogs. The blog where I talk about working from home and uh, becoming more productive and efficient is called The Couch Manager. So it's thecouchmanager.com. And uh, in it, I basically talk about the different takeaways of, of managing folks remotely. And then the other blog I have, uh, which is not as popular as the Couch Manager, is called uh, Part-Time Webpreneur. Uh, so part, P-A-R-T, time, uh, webpreneur, W-E-B, as in boy, P as in panda, R-E-N-E-U-R. That's a mouthful there, but parttimewebpreneur.com. And it's about side businesses. Uh, so I am a full-time employee, but I've written a book. I've started the course, and I kind of talk about the process I follow there. Um, so, yeah, those, those are two blogs I kind of uh, regularly update uh, some posts on uh, throughout my career. Yeah, great. So we'll post uh, links to those on the episode page for parttimewebpreneur and couchmanager.com. Uh, and... Originally, before we did this interview, I wanted to talk to you about your, your book launch, uh, but we didn't get, have enough time to go into it because we were just, uh, I, I didn't want to take away from this, this topic of outsourcing and uh, managing remote teams. So, uh, But you do have a lot of great information about your book launch. Uh, I read your post about, the, uh, about your book cover and creating your, your MVP, Minimal Vile Product, before you wrote it. I think uh, you have some great, fantastic posts on there as well. So. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, and maybe maybe some uh, other day, maybe when we have you in the U.S., you and I can go grab a coffee and talk about that and, and come up with another uh, podcast uh, uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for your time. I uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with you, Danny, and uh, all the best to you. Thank you, Hassan. Same to you. Bye-bye.